Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. And we are going to be back in Acts chapter 2 again this week. Uh, we're going to start down at verse uh, 37 in just, in just a moment. Uh, last week was Pentecost. And so at Pentecost, we talked about the sending of the Holy Spirit on that particular day as the, uh, as the apostles were given the Holy Spirit to go out and do the work of mission. And last week, we worked through the entirety of the Bible um, all that morning. So we're, we've completed our preaching for the year. Um, we don't have anything left to talk about. And so I'm in. Uh, we'll see you in January of next year. No, uh, the... Uh, the we, what I want to do is, is pick up in, this, in a much shorter um, uh, look at what happened next after the giving of the Spirit, after the apostles went out into, uh, into Jerusalem and preached the gospel in other languages. What happened next? And we're going to look at this in light of the, the work of the Holy Spirit here on this Trinity Sunday. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, we had confirmations in the first service, and so, so it was around 35-ish people uh, that, were, that were confirmed. It was a beautiful and wonderful service where, uh, where the bishop was here to lay hands on each and every one of them, asking for the Holy Spirit to be stirred in profound ways as they became members here at Redeemer uh, and, and recommitted themselves to, to following the work of the Spirit and doing the work of mission in His name and living out the faith of Christ together as well. And so, in light of all of those things, we're going to look closely at, uh, at the Holy Spirit today and, uh, and what happened after, uh, after the, that first movement of the Spirit in, on Pentecost. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles open, we're in Acts chapter 2, and I'm just going to summarize a little bit of what happens here, that in what Madison read for us this morning, Peter stands up, Peter's sort of the leader of the apostles, and he stands up. And he preaches what is the first recorded Christian sermon ever uh, after Jesus. And, uh, and, and he preaches. The content of that is basically what we did last week. He uses the Old Testament, uses the Psalms, he uses the prophets in order to show how all of the Scripture and all of the plan of God points to the work of Jesus Christ. And then that Jesus Christ says, he says this really amazing thing, uh, um, Jesus said to his disciples, it is better that I am leaving you. This is right before the ascension. He says, it's better that I am leaving you, which would have been very confusing, considering Jesus is God walking amongst us. What could be better than having God walking amongst us? Why would he say, it's better that I'm leaving you? He says, it's better that I'm leaving you because the promised gift of God is going to be sent. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Because there's Jesus, who is incarnate, who is in one place at one time, uh, and where he, if he's in Galilee, he's not in Nazareth, right? There's, there are different, uh, different places, uh, and, but the Holy Spirit is everywhere amongst us. And so he says, he says that, uh, that it is better that I, that I go away from you 
so that you will receive the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's Peter preaching, using the Old Testament like we did last week, talking about how Jesus was God himself who has taken away the sin of the world and that these people specifically that he's talking to crucified him, right? Bad news, right? <laughs> if you're like, point one, Jesus is God. Point two, you just crucified him. Um, not a good day uh, to be listening uh, as, a, as, as a group of people hearing this kind of sermon. Well, I would say, friends, the, the difficult truth for us as well is that point one is that Jesus is God. Point two is it's our sin that crucified him. What they heard that day is the same message as us that we hear as well, that it is, it is for our sin that he died, not his own. And so we crucified him. We're the same as that original Jewish audience in Jerusalem that day. And so, so when, they are, when, they, when they hear this truth, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they say this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart means they were, they were stirred in their emotion. They were, they were convicted of sin, which is not a pleasant thing. There's in, in conviction, that means there's a, there's, a, there's a sense of an awareness of our guilt, and along with that, then our shame, and also with our shame, a recognition that, that of, from what Peter has just preached, God is a, is a holy and just God, and that if we are convicted of our sins, that means that we are sinners who have sinned against a holy and just God, and so therefore, that should stir up in us some fear as well. This isn't, this isn't a good situation to be in. It's difficult conviction, but it's also key to the conversion of our soul because hopefully with our conviction comes as well a contrite heart, an ownership of, yes, there's sin in my life. Yes, I've hurt others. Yes, I've hurt myself. Yes, I've skewed the image of God within me. Yes, I've I have sinned against God and his creation and others. I have stolen the glory of God. I have pursued idols. I have done things that I should not have done. I have not done things that I should have done. And the weight of that comes in us and cuts us to the heart. It says, what should we do? This is the greatest question of all. In light of who Jesus is and what he has done, what should we do? And it's such an important moment that it comes with conviction because conviction means that we start to distrust our own ability to fix ourselves. That, that, uh, that we are start to refute the lies of self-actualization or the cultural mistruth that says you are perfect just the way that you are. No, you're not. No, we're not. We are not perfect just the way that we are. We need to be recreated in the image of our Creator. We are in need of grace. We are in need of a Savior. We need to be saved and to healed. We're not perfect just the way that we are. We are perfect the way that we were created, but sin has skewed us. And so we need grace. We need healing. We need hope that comes from outside of us. As the late Tim Keller said, in the gospel, we see these two truths. 
that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we have ever dared In light of Jesus, what shall we do? The person and work of Jesus requires a response. And so here's what Peter says to them in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he says here two things, repent and be baptized. Oftentimes, other places in the scripture where, where, this, where this, uh, this call to action is brought, it says, repent and believe and be baptized. And we know that, that that's already what Peter has called them to. A little bit later, the people are called the believers. So we know that belief is a part of this as well. Repent, believe, and be baptized. To repent is to turn away from our sin, to put our trust in Jesus rather than in the things of this world or in our own strength or even in our own goodness. To repent, to turn to the Lord, to say we trust you and your ways and we come to you and need your grace. We repent, we believe in Jesus, and we are baptized. Baptism is essential to the Christian life. It is not something that the church just came up with after Jesus or some kind of dead ritual or just something that uh, you do when you're a kid or if you get worked up in your emotion later on in life. It is a command of Christ and his church. Why? Because in baptism, we see the washing of sin, the rebirth. When you take a child or an adult and you hold them over a giant bucket of water and you say, now through Christ, you have been crucified and died, and you have been brought to new life. Baptism is entrance into the Christian church, into the community. As oftentimes church architecture even reflects this, our church is sort of bent um, in that the front door is over there. Most of the time, the church is actually back there in the back when you go into cathedrals. And the first thing that you see when you walk into a cathedral or an old ancient church, is the baptismal font right in front of you because it is entrance into the church. The death and resurrection of Christ, the, the pursuit of what shall we do, repent, believe, and be baptized. You are brought into the church because we are called to be the people of God together, saved by the gospel. And so then Peter says, when this happens, repentance, belief, baptism, there are two free gifts that are given. One the gift of grace, where he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Complete, utter, absolute forgiveness of those things that we have done that have hurt the image of God, of that glory that we have sold, of the way that we have hurt others and ourselves. We are now guiltless, forgiven, completely absolved white as snow, as far as the east is from the west. These are the kind of phrases that God uses when he talks about where we are in our sin now. We, are, we have been forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ. So the free gift is grace. It's free to us, yet very expensive to God, because Jesus Christ is the one who paid with his very life for us to be able to have that grace and new life. And the second gift Receive the gift of grace, and then you will receive the gift of 
the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of God to dwell within you. And Peter has just quoted the prophet Joel, and he, uh, he is saying this, is, this promise is not just for us as the apostles, not just people on the day of Pentecost, not just the Pentecostal church that named themselves after this, right? Like they don't even get to keep the Holy Spirit. This is for all of us. He says in verse 39, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So that means that if you know Christ, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. You, me, us. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this is not something that we should take lightly, because as the Scripture reveals who God is, our God as Christians, we believe in one God. We are monotheists, but there's this, but there's this doctrine of the Trinity as God has revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in a way that is bigger than our logic can possibly comprehend how God is one and God is three, how God is three in one. How does that work? I have no idea. It's bigger than our logic can ever comprehend about who God is, but God has shown himself to be equally God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and equally present as each at the same time. It's bigger than anything else we've ever seen because there is only one God. And so then the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is fully a part of the, tri the, the Trinitarian God, has been given to believers to dwell in you and amongst you. That you. The good news here is that you're not just saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and then left to your own strength. That same strength that got us into the place where we needed a Savior to begin with, because by our own strength we couldn't be holy and righteous and pure and all the things that we should be, and we needed Christ to come and die for us because of that. Oh, I just dropped some hand sanitizer. Um, that, uh, um, that, uh, that we needed Christ to save us. He wouldn't save us and then just entrust us to our own strength again. And sometimes as Christians, we live this way. Like we go, yes, Christ is taking care of my sin and my grief and my, and my shame and, he's, and my guilt. And he's taking it all away. And so now I've just got to be better. I've got to be, I've got to be gooder. Right? Like, I've got to work harder. And so, so I might have been saved by grace, but now I stay in that grace by my own effort. And friends, that is not what the Scripture teaches us. But that you have been saved by grace, and you have been given the Holy Spirit to work within you. And so what we are doing then is participating with the very work of God who dwells within us. You are not left alone in your faith to try harder and now earn it since you've been given a second chance but that the presence of God dwells in you as it did in the very temple of the Jewish people. Now dwells in you. Oh, the joy of this, friends. The, the miraculous nature of this. We cannot, we cannot uh, underestimate the, the, the beauty and the value of this. I mean, the, the, the astounding nature of this truth God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created all things, sustained all things. This is the same God, the same Spirit that split the Red Sea, the same God, the same Spirit that worked in Jesus 
to, to bring back someone from the dead, to calm the storm, to multiply the bread and the fishes, to, uh, to, to miraculously suspend the laws of nature even in his death and resurrection. This is the same spirit who is at work in Christ, is now at work in the apostles on this day to, that moved them from cowardly, fearful people locked in a room to vocal missionaries out into the world who are going to begin the church that is going to spread over the course of the whole earth that 2,000 years later we are still a part of now. The same spirit that did all that is granted to you. This is the interactive portion of the Bible, right? Like this is the part where you go like, I'm reading these things that have happened in the past and I'm realizing, wait, this is true. This is describing me and my life and what, what is happening to me now that, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit is called by a number of different names. Holy, holy breath, holy wind, um, holy spirit, the paraclete, which means the one who is called alongside of you. The Holy Comforter, the one who comforts. So the presence of God is with us to, to reassure us, to comfort us, and to change us, and to transform us, and to use us. We see that the Spirit continues to give, just as God the Father sent God the Son, and so the Holy Spirit is sent to, and so the, uh, the, the Spirit gives us gifts as we are sent in His name. And it says in the Scripture that the Spirit gives gifts. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 12. It says things like this. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, that means to everyone, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what he just said is, what Paul just said there is that you have been given gifts of the Spirit in order for you to bless the common good. In other words, the God whose character it is to bless, who is then recreating you in His image, is raising you up to be a blessing, and He's giving you the gifts that you need to be able to do that by His very power that is within you for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts also says in the scripture that the Holy Spirit begins to change us again into the image and the, and the, uh, of our creator and the, to share the character of our creator. So, the, so that Galatians talks about there's fruit that is born in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the kinds of things that when we participate with the Spirit, start to happen in our lives, start to be stirred up within us and begin to reform us where sin has skewed us, begins to straighten us and heal us and restore us to make us into not just the person that we want to be, but a person that reflects the image of the Creator in nature. That's the Holy Spirit. I mean, isn't that exciting? This Holy Spirit that split the Red Sea, this Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, like, that rolled the stone away, that was, that was the Holy Spirit rolling the stone away in, that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work 
in us, giving gifts, bearing fruit, bringing the presence of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, into our lives. This morning, the application of this in our first service tied very directly to confirmation, where as many of you have been confirmed, or some of you have are thinking about it or in the process of it, that confirmation really is a place where we come to say we want to take personal ownership of these things, to step into life in the church, to make vows, to commit to one another deeply. And the way that we enter into that life as the church is that the bishop lays his hands on us and asks for the Holy Spirit to be that would be my application for you for all of this in our second service today as well. We're not going to do confirmations again uh, in here. Um, that the bishop actually left. He's on a cruise already. Um, like he's on vacation for the next week. Uh, and uh, so we're not doing confirmations again. But what we are going to ask is that the Holy Spirit to move mightily in our lives. For you, to, you to just take a moment to contemplate. When you were saved, Jesus didn't just take away your sin. He also gave you the Holy Spirit at work in you right now. So you don't have to figure everything out. And you don't have to bear all the burden of all of the work of being a Christian. And you don't go unprotected in the world. And that you don't live only by your own intellect or by your own strength. But by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. This should be great and glorious so on this wonderful day that is Trinity Sunday, that is the day of confirmations as well, may the Spirit move mightily in your heart. I just want to take a couple of minutes for us to just be silent. That maybe there's some aspect of what we talked about today of the Holy Spirit comforting or the Holy Spirit gifting or the Holy Spirit sending that has resonated with you where you are saying, I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need to participate more. I need to stop pressing back against and start to participate with. I just want to spend a couple of minutes in prayer asking for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and amongst us and to move mightily in this way. Lord, when we read your scriptures, these are not just stories of things that happened long ago, but a story that we are a part of. And you gave the gift of your Holy Spirit to the church, and we are the church. So Lord, I pray that you would fall in power upon us this morning. Comfort us where we need comforting. Give us strength and courage where we need, where we need your reassurance. Give us boldness to act in your name. Rekindle a fire of passion in us for you where it has been drowned out by the world. Help us to repent of our sins. Help us to repent of the neglect of the Holy Spirit that we take for granted your very presence in our lives. And let us breathe deep again of the holy wind that is in that this place. Let us know you and receive you. Come, Holy Spirit. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, in the rest of this service. And as we leave here, 
Let us go out in your name, knowing that we go with you. You are not left in this place, but that you dwell in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let us leave with joy and with confidence and ready to serve you as you call us to be your witnesses to the power of the Holy Spirit to the end of the earth. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So then let us stand and reaffirm the ancient faith that we believe as Christians, as Christian, the words that Christians have used for many hundreds of years in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one